0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm all about that bass, guys. Give me a little. Give me a little bit more bass. Uh, it is. It is. Yeah, that's right. It is an honor. It is an absolute honor to have everybody here with us this morning. I do want to welcome all visitors to our church family. Welcome. If you're visiting with us today, it is a blessing and honor to have you in our midst. If you're watching us online, thank you so much for tuning in this morning. We're excited to be worshiping with you as well and to all our regular church family it's good to be in God's house with you this morning we're continuing our series from the book of Jude and we're calling it the contender and I'm gonna be talking to you this morning about the middle section of the book of Jude we call it the midrash in theology and Jude is going to talk to us some about the expectation that God has on the lives of Christians concerning their conduct The expectation God has in the lives of Christians concerning their conduct. And then Jude is going to give us some specific examples from the Old Testament about what happens when we allow our conduct to get off course and we become disobedient. And then we find ways theologically to justify or rationalize our own behavior. And then Jude is going to talk to us some about the effect of that false doctrine and teaching in our lives. So I'm calling this uh, message this morning "Lessons from the Past," and I chose this picture specifically because it relates to lessons I have learned from my past. And and those of you that don't know me know that in my past there is an overabundance of stories I could share with you this morning on lessons I've learned from my past. I was an addict. God delivered me from drugs and alcohol. 10 years ago, and um, all of those things were learning experiences for me, but I'll tell you a story that relates to this picture specifically. There was a point in time in my life, and this is serious for me, where I wanted to be a professional cage fighter, want to be a professional cage fighter, and I actually did fight in a professional cage fighting match, I did, and my professional cage fighting record is 0 and 1. And, and so you can see based on my choice in profession that I learned a lesson from that experience that was valuable and certainly shaped the course of, of my life over time. If you would turn with me in your Bible or your iPad or your iPhone to Jude, and I'm going to start reading from the fifth verse, and I would ask that you guys follow along if you don't have something on screen. The Bible says this in Jude starting in verse 5. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves, their clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about them, saying, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And of all the defiant words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves. And they flatter others for their own advantage. I want to break this text down into three sections. The first is the expectation of Christian living. The expectation of Christian living. Now, the first group that Jude emphasizes here in the fifth verse of his letter is the Israelites who had been delivered from Egypt. The group of people that at one point in time were in slavery and in bondage, beaten and tortured, subjected to the autocratic, authoritative rule of a group of people separate and apart from them they they've been there for some some words up around 400 years so this was not just one generation of imprisonment or captivity or slavery this was generation after generation after generation after generation and God hears the cries of his people, and he raises up a man named Moses to lead them out of that captivity. And in Numbers 14, we get the backstory that Jude is referencing here in his fifth verse. I'm going to pick up for you in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1. The Bible says this. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If we had only died in Egypt, or even in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to listen to this, church, go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I thank God for the integrity and character of Moses and Aaron who plead with the Lord, do not destroy these people. The story picks up after God responds to their pleas. The Lord replies in verse 20, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times... Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Later on in this section of Scripture, God tells Moses the two people who will actually see the land of promise that were delivered from the land of captivity. One of those is the only uh, Israelite on record who is actually the son of a Catholic lady It was Joshua, son of none. Joshua's son. I have waited about eight years since my Bible college education to get that into a sermon. So that was obviously more satisfying to me than it was for you. What's Jude's point? Why would he emphasize this particular story of deliverance and then God's judgment for this group of people? Here's what I want to tell you this morning God expects us to live changed lives. Our deliverance, here's another way of putting this our deliverance does not diminish God's demand for our obedience. Our deliverance does not diminish God's demand for our obedience. I think some of us come to Christ, our lives are transformed, and we, sp- and we feel a spiritual fervor and a spiritual fire, and we're on mission, and we're on point, and we've got passion. But then we slowly and, sh- and steadily exchange God's grace for our license to do what we want to do. And when the Christian life gets difficult and when God's demand for our obedience gets tough, we slowly and steadily give way to our flesh. And in lots of churches today, you don't hear preachers teaching on God's expectation of our obedience. Let me give you the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in John 15. I'm going to start in verse 9. The Bible says this, as the Father have loved, has loved me, these are the words of Jesus, so I have loved you. And because of Jesus' great love for us, he's about to share with us in John 15 the secret of Christian joy and life. What does he say? Now remain in my love. Okay, Jesus, how am I gonna do that? Let me tell you what he says. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. There is a linking between the love we say we have for God and the behavior that we live out day to day in our lives and we've got to be diligent and and disciplined in how we approach the love we demonstrate daily to our Lord Jesus Christ. Live a changed life just because you've been delivered doesn't mean you can be disobedient. Live a compliant life. In verse 6 Jude uses an illustration of fallen angels. I don't have time today to get into this uh, in detail. But what's his point? His point is to live a compliant life. To live a compliant life. God created the angels with a specific purpose and and, and made them indwell or dwell in a specific place. And there was a group of those angels that apparently didn't appreciate the purpose or the place, so they relinquished that purpose and that place, and they started serving after their own desires. And I'm telling you, friend, God's got a purpose, and you are in the place that for whatever reason, he has you in at this moment. And you need to be compliant with and joyful about that absolute truth, that for whatever reason in this season, God's hand is on you, and where you are is where he has you at that moment in time. So be joyful, and be appreciative, and be on, on mission, and trust that where you're at is where God's designed for you to be. I think some of us in church are educated well beyond the level of our obedience. Some of us in church are educated well beyond the level of our our obedience. We're too short-sighted to see that right where we're at happens to be the place that God has us in a mission field. And we wanna look past or we wanna get discontent or we wanna do things our way in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you that the opposite of ignorance for many Christians is not knowledge, it's actually obedience. To put into practice where you exist the truths and commands found in the word of life. Now let me tell you guys something right now. This is the South. If you don't raise your amening level, I am not gonna raise my preaching level. Okay. And I want to say something else. If I have to do all the preaching and the amening, it's gonna take me twice as long. Okay? Now that should terrify some of you. I, my my local guys will, will will bring will will make up for the deficit here. I'm confident in that. Jude also says, live a consistent life. In verse seven, he uses an illustration of Sodom and Gomorrah. They gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. I'm reminded here that that the single I'm reminded of a quote from Brennan Manning and he says this the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but they walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle this is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelieving In the Greek, this idea of having given themselves up gives us the sense that at one point in time, these people in Sodom and Gomorrah were not so immoral sexually. But that over time, slowly, the cultural influence invaded how they conducted their life day to day. And we find in Scripture that this was one of the most sexually immoral places on earth. And I'm afraid that some of the false teaching and and the cultural influence in churches today is is influencing and leading Christians down the path of that same immorality. And we've got to take a specific stand and adopt a biblical model of, of sexuality and of marriage and of life itself, not just in the church house. Not just in our preaching, but in how we live our lives outside the church. Can I get a witness? There we go. You guys are are quick. (laughs) Either that or you're ready for me to be quiet and hurry this along. So what's the example? The example Jude uses here are false teachers. And in the next couple of verses, he gives us some idea of what their doctrine actually is. Ultimately, it's this. These are people who reject the lordship of Jesus Christ. They do it three ways, through their behavior, through their specific beliefs, and through receiving benefits for teaching something other than the teaching the apostles have taught. So let's take a look at verse 8. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies. Here's what they're doing. They're promoting their own dreams, their own intuitions, and their own suspicions to a level as authoritative with the teachings of God. And all false doctrine, even today, still propagate this sort of phenomenon. The hallmark of false teaching over time has always been this. To elevate the power and prestige of man and to depersonalize God into a force that man taps into at his own bidding. A divine power that you learn to manipulate when you want, how you want, as often as you want. It is true that God gave us creative capability, but we are not the creator. God did give us creative capability, but friend, we are not the creator. What does God tell us to do? He doesn't tell us to create. He says, obey. Where you are is where I want you. Now be quiet and get obedient, and then I'm going to bless you. And then the life you want to experience is going to come down out of nowhere. And God's going to connect with you in that moment you least expect it. Maybe it's in the third watch of the night. Maybe it's in the fourth watch, just before dawn. I'm telling you, it's coming. Because God never leaves you and he never forsakes you. These, also, these false teachers are rejecting the Lord, lordship of Christ through their behavior. In verse 8, here's how I come to this conclusion. They heap abuse on celestial beings. Now, this is the kind of verse where those of us in, in preaching and theology just could camp out for like five or six days. What, what, what is Jude trying to tell us? I'm about to give you the quickest uh, theology of angels as they relate to the law in history. I just want you to jot this down. I don't have them on screen. And I'm going to make a case for how these false teachers have rejected the lordship of Christ through their behavior and through their teaching and their doctrine. Hebrews 2.2 says this, Since the message spoken through angels was binding... And every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. Message spoken through angels, okay? Acts 7, 53. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it, received the law that was given through angels and have not obeyed it. Galatians 3:19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Catch this, the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Here's what I believe Jude is getting at based on what I, I feel he was aware of in terms of the slandering of angels and angelic participation in the law. The easiest way I could summarize it, stay with me on this, is that angels were kind of guardians of and experts in the law. So this is why the archangel Michael and the adversary would have been debating over what to do with the body of Moses. He killed somebody. So the enemy was trying to tell uh, the archangel Michael, hey, listen, he's, uh, the enemy was slandering him, trying to accuse him. Revelation 12.10 calls our adversary an accuser, accusing us before God day and night. But here's the distinction, and this is ultimately the point of why Jude shares this teaching. Because Michael knew that it wasn't his own authority with which he would have rebuked the enemy. It wasn't his own strength that he was going to stand on. It wasn't his own teaching. It was the teaching of his creator, the Lord, his God, Jehovah. And these false teachers are apparently elevating themselves to the point of authority and speaking authoritatively over situations that only God himself has the authority to speak over. This is how they're rejecting the lordship of Jesus Christ through their belief. And in our churches, we have got to humbly come to the words of truth and get so familiar with God's word that nothing can sway us and that we're not cast to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but we know that Jesus Christ is Lord, and through him and only him do we find our way to heaven. And I'm so honored and humbled to be able to stand in the midst of such a a great crowd of people, likely from all different backgrounds, yet we're mature enough to be united by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ how incredible we got family all over the world watching online guys in California Megan in Ireland I know you got a group going there this morning such a neat experience for me these guys also rejected the Lordship of Christ through benefits Jude references Cain, Balaam and Korah all people who ultimately were trying to usurp God's authority and his model ultimately for their own gain And this is still happening today. People teaching false doctrine, deliberately playing on your flesh in hopes that they rope you into following them. And that's how they support themselves in the most simplistic way, which is financially. And here's the point. Clueless Christians are easy prey for clever, clever charlatans. Clueless Christians are easy prey for clever charlatans. That's one of the points of this study is to drive you deeper into God's word and to get involved in ministries like Heartfelt and House Church and all the different things we offer like Celebrate Recovery here in our fellowship. And if if you're a visitor or you're watching online, I encourage you to get involved and get connected and feast on the words of life so that you can see a lie and false doctrine for what it is. What's the effect of all of this teaching Ultimately, Jude says two things about it. First, it leads to judgment in the present and a prospective judgment in the future. The groups that Jude referenced that I just mentioned that gained some benefit financially as a result of their false teaching are all judged in this life. Remember Numbers 14. God says, okay, they're going to live, those people that have spoken against me and tried to usurp my authority, they're going to finish their days in this life. But their judgment in this life is that they don't get to see the land of promise. You look at Balaam and how he died, or Korah, and how the the end of Korah and his uh, compatriots happened. There was deliberate and direct consequence in this life, but with both of them, ultimately, Balaam is put to death by the Israelites. And Korah, if you read the story, is actually swallowed up in what seems like an earthquake. Really interesting study. But here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. Sin and disobedience to God's established order and commands has grievous consequences And I work with families all the time in this church and from in this community and and have the opportunity to talk to friends and, and even some family about lots of different things. And one of the major reasons for people who are suffering in this life is because of sin. It's because of their sinful behavior. And some of the consequences of sin are designed to hopefully get our lives back in line with living according to God's purpose and plan in our lives and we see here that that's a major piece of Jude's imagery if we were to keep reading we'd see that these false teachers are absolutely fruitless they produce nothing they're blemishes at your love feast, says Jude. These are like rocks that a ship can't detect that would otherwise pierce the hull of a ship and sink it. These are destructive forces. What does he say? They're clouds without rain. Autumn trees without fruit, uprooted twice dead. Wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Wandering stars with no place to permanently exist. You talk about a miserable existence These particular charlatans, specifically because they were described in this manner, I'm going to tell you, were some of the most miserable, sin-sick, sad people on the face of the earth. And my prayer for you all is that you're able to abstain from cultural influence and abstain from bad theology and trust in what you know to be good and right and true right here from the Word of God Himself. What's the perspective judgment about? I could go into a big study on the prophecy of Enoch, but I'm just going to touch on it to say this. In verse 14, Jude says, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. friend, there is coming a day. When every single knee on earth will bow. And every single tongue on this earth is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And my prayer is, thank God. My prayer is that you're ready for that day. And my concluding question for you this morning is are you? are you ready for that time when it comes to confess hey I, I, I don't know what I really know but I know that guy right there Lord and he's Jesus and he's my Savior are you ready for that moment I'm gonna close in prayer we're gonna sing a verse of a song if you've got a need in your life we want to pray with you thank you for worshiping with us here this morning let's pray Lord how awesome to be gathered here together and worship your son we are not worthy and there are no words to describe What an honor it is to be gathered here together in his name. I hope that you help us live the expectation you have on us to be obedient. God, I ask that we would stay away from those examples of false teaching and that we would instead always be submissive to your lordship so that judgment in this life is easy and in the next is merciful. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.